What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw Raffs, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? I had forgotten just how chaotic the transfer portal portion of the college basketball transfer portal announcement mm. portion of the college basketball schedule is. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this isn't the first time it's it's happened, but it just hit me this week that I had forgotten how chaotic it is and how many you just look up every hour and you go, that dude's in the portal? That dude's in the portal? That dude's in the portal? <laughs> and then, you know, we got to wait for a while to resolve itself. But it, it hit me again watching all the names this week. You know, it's it's you have to juggle it in a way, you know, because the NFL season – Teams can't do anything right. until the until the Super Bowl is over. But in college in college sports, like once your season is over, like you can transfer on the bus on the way home, mm-hmm. right? And and you can, I mean, like for example, Miles Tate, uh, a Butler guy, he's already signed with Appalachian State for next year. So like all of these things can start happening way before the season is actually over. Yeah, JJ and, Starling was done before it even started. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, is you, you have to juggle it in a way that you don't have to some other sports because there are just rules in place that you like, you can't start making moves until the season is over and the next season has officially begun. And it's also that, that dynamic is interesting to me too, in the sense that theoretically, you know, the, Miami's or Florida Atlantic's or San Diego States of the world who are having the success this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could throw UConn in there too, although UConn has its own appeal as being UConn. But right, these runs are going to change the way people view specifically Florida Atlantic, for example. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of appealing things about that <laughs> from a lifestyle standpoint. Mm-hmm. But they got to wait because Dusty May's got to go game plan. You know, they're, they're not done. They can't be as aggressive in the portal as everybody else. So there's that dynamic of it, too, that you kind of get rewarded for being done early because then you can start jumping in on all these guys who are also done early. And mm-hmm. you got to kind of try and convince them to wait if you're still in the NCAA tournament and hear you out once you have more time to focus on that part. The whole one second we've, we're playing in the Final <laughs> Four, give us a couple more days right. is a pretty uh, – <laughs> is a pretty enticing argument. At least it would be for me. I was going to say, you would think, maybe, maybe not. That'd be interesting to explore someday. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So that's a good, like coaches anonymous piece that you could do. Mm -hmm. Like, like, all right, keep it a buck with me. You're, you know, mid-major team X. And it would be, you'd have to go a little deeper into the, because if you did this kind of coach's anonymous thing, it would be Dusty May. <laughs> like that would just. And and I saw a quote, Dusty May basically said, yeah, they're coming after our guys already. That's crazy. I think I saw that somewhere. I mean, I, I guess there's two sides to the coin, right? Mm-hmm. It's trying to rebuild in a, in a, hey, we, we can do this. We've done this. And then on the other side of things, it's all of these mid-major, I mean, high-major programs trying to pluck teams, right. guys from this team that just went to a Final Four. Mm-hmm. And those guys know that it's unlikely that they will go back next year and that their chances to go back to the Final Four are probably better on a high-major team. Maybe. You know what I mean? Yes, oh, stop I, it. I know. Stop it. 
Depends on the high. Depends on the high major. But there are eighty percent of the high major teams have a better chance to go to the final four than FAU does. You really think? Yes. If that team comes back, that team's not going to come back. They're going to transfer. I mean, okay. If you're operating under that assumption, then yes, you should operate under that assumption. You probably should. I'm holding. I'm. I'm holding out hope. I'm not exactly optimistic, but I'm holding on to a little hope. We'll see. But if that entire team comes back. Then yes, half of the high majors still have a better chance to go to the final four than <laughs> FAU. If you played this tournament a hundred times, this is the only time that FAU would go to the final four. The only time. That might be true. I'm becoming a believer that this team is really, really, really good. <laughs> Maybe and I'm getting see, caught up in the moment. Their margin of victory in their margin of victory in this tournament Suggest where they played where they've played Memphis and FDU and a Tennessee team without their best player. And their margin is still only plus 19 for the whole tournament? Suggests otherwise. Yes, you are correct about that. Final four. It's time. It's time. It's time for the final four. On Saturday, we'll get at 6.09, because we can't just play at 6. We have oh, to play at 6.09. At 6.09 p.m. on CBS, number nine, Florida Atlantic. Did you know that this they'll be the first nine-seater higher to win their final four game if they win it? If they advance to the championship game, they'll be the first, first nine or higher seed ever to actually win their final four game. I wouldn't have necessarily been able to tell you that, but that doesn't shock me. I just like, like, and I also like clearly, like I thought that like you, you blew my mind the other day when you told me that the Kemba team was like a four seed. You blew my mind with that. And I guess the teams that have, I mean, like that Shabazz Napier team was an eight seed. Mm-hmm. I guess the that's eight the, seeds seem to have a lot of success. <laughs> right, right. And UConn was, I mean, sorry, not UConn. UNC last year was an eight seed, right? Yep. So I, I guess also that's believe Scott, that Villanova team that won the, the national title was an eight seed. What, like back in the 80s? Yeah, the Roy Massimino team. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I thought that was I thought that was interesting, yeah. but like the, when I thought about it, I mean, it doesn't happen that a nine seed or greater gets there all that often. But like you know, the George Masons yep. of the world, like VCU. none of those teams, yeah, none of those teams won their right. won their game in the final four. Yep. So I just would not have I would not not have guessed that. Anywho, number nine seed Florida Atlantic versus number five seed San Diego State, the number five Miami Hurricanes, the U. At eight forty nine, we'll take on the number four seed, UConn. I had somebody, somebody in the podcast that I produce uh, for CBS say, "I thought all the twelve seeds were supposed to win. Why are there two five seeds in the final four? I was like, <laughs> I have a hard time arguing with you there. That, that I have a hard time. She's not the year the twelve seed. Yeah, I guess not. I guess not. The numbers finally kind of evened out a little bit after year after <laughs> year, where they go, you know, three and one. Right, exactly. So you have five, uh, two five seeds in the final four. A four seed and a nine seed is also the first final four ever without a top three seed in the national semifinal. Okay, is there anything widespreading, overarching, big picture, thirty thousand feet that you'd like to talk about before we kind of break down these teams? I do like these matchups. I guess I'll say that. In terms of, we're getting two very different teams in both of these games, mm-hmm. so something's got to give. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> so, not necessarily you like that matchup for 
one team or the other. I'm sure you do, but right. like just the matchups create it. There are two opposite energies coming together. So one's going to have to give. Right. There are some, as I was kind of digging more into this, I feel like there are some very clear keys that these things are going to swing one way or another, and that's going mm-hmm. to tip the balance. Or if this team is going to win, specifically the underdogs, these things need to happen. They need to, you know, have some advantages and, and stop the other team from having the theore- the advantages that they theoretically will have based on the matchup. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay, let's dive into the first of the two games. Like I said, Florida Atlantic playing San Diego State at NRG Stadium, by the way, Houston, Texas, um, 609 on CBS. Let's start with San Diego State. And here's what we're going to do, Josh. We're going to – we've got a couple categories to kind of help break down these uh, these these four teams. Okay, so we're going to start. And for each team, we'll, we'll quickly touch on the path uh, just to, to reiterate kind of how they got there. One reason that they got this far, so kind of diving into that path and figuring out what has gotten them to Houston, their best player thus far, and then we'll turn our attentions to that Final Four game and give a key to winning that game against their opponent. Sound good? Yeah, so I have a most important player. I guess I did that a little bit differently. Tomato, tomato. Okay. Because I, I, because I also like, like foreshadowing a little bit. Like Darian Trammell is not my, is not the player that I have for San Diego State. Oh, okay. So I, I also did not just straight up okay. go the best player. Okay. Because cool. if we're talking best player, then that would have been the answer to that question. Right. Right. Yeah. We're on the same now, page. Okay. Now, 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 do those things overlap quite sure. a bit elsewhere? Yes, but I d- that was not just straight up which player on that team is averaging the most points in whether it's the NCAA tournament or Correct. in the. So, um, <laughs> but I'm also very much in the. There are glue guys that have been very good, but it didn't. It wouldn't matter if this other guy wasn't playing super super well. So sure. we'll get to those things as we get to them. But yes, those are your four categories. So, in San Diego State's case. It's been, it's been, uh, if you like defense, you very much enjoyed San Diego State's path. Uh, they beat Charleston 63 to 57 in the round of 64 and then beat Furman to get out of the first weekend 75 to 52, beat number one seed overall seed Alabama 71 to 64, and then beat Creighton in a just absolute offensive gauntlet of a game 57 to 56 to get all the way to Houston, whether you can touch on any of those games in particular or just jump into the reason that they're here. They did, for the most part, you know, kind of earn this bracket. We'll get to some of the other paths, but, you know, you beat the one seed, Mm -hmm. you beat the team that beat the team that beat the two seed, (laughs) if you want, and the team that beat the three seed. You know, a they, friend of a friend of a friend. Right, right, right. <laughs> so Arizona not getting anywhere, you know, kind of threw this out of whack a little bit. But my, I guess my point is that's a more impressive list of wins than the seed lines are going to give you credit for. I would agree with that. And obviously beating Alabama speaks for itself. Yeah, I feel like 
Right, especially Creighton. Like if you if Creighton is healthy yeah. all year, then you're probably I mean, you probably don't end up playing Creighton. I mean, maybe you do. Maybe Creighton's a three seed and you end up having to beat them anyways. Um or because Creighton was a six, mm-hmm. correct. Um but yes, I would agree with that, that those seed lines, the average seed line victory, uh won't quite accurately per uh because you also played right, a Charleston team that won in a ridiculous amount yep. of games this year. So that's a that was a really high quality team this year as well. Yep. Why are they here, Josh? <laughs> Defense. Yeah. <laughs> there are kind of a couple different ways I explored this. First, I mean, they haven't given up more than 64 points in the month of Arch. Unsurprisingly. That seems, are, that seems solid. And, you know, they are 8-0 as a result in the month of March. Seems solid. Yeah. And then there's the big picture, which is they're 5-4 and four this season when they've given up at least 75 points. Mm-hmm. They're twenty six and two in their other twenty eight games. <laughs> yeah, like, like that is that is high level stuff. I mean, we can't make it to seventy five. Just don't give up seventy five. Right. You know what I mean, like, right? And yeah, yeah. And, and you pointed this out, and I probably didn't even give them enough credit. Right? There are plenty of games where they're getting into the seventies and eighties. It's not like they can't score, mm-hmm. but the the system gets thrown out of whack when they have to do it. Usually, they're just able to win, you know, seventy two to fifty eight or something like that against right. teams they're better than. So and it's not like they did that in this tournament either, right? Right. The right. most points they've scored is what I guess seventy two against Furman in yeah. a non competitive game. But the the games that were close, they they needed to lock in as much defensively as they did. Yeah, and especially when they're playing the the better teams in the country, the better teams in the Mountain West, you're seeing more of that's where some of the losses came from is when they got into the seventies with those teams mm-hmm. versus being able to keep it the way they did against Alabama, the way they did against Creighton. Yeah. So that that's the story. They're an elite defensive team. Yeah. Uh, in this tournament, teams have shot 32%, 32%, 32% and 40% against them in this tournament. That's for an average of 34% for the tournament, uh, just for, just for comparison, um, I believe it was Alabama that has the best defensive field goal percentage this year, and it was like thirty six and point seven five percent. So, like to give you an idea of just how elite that is to to hold teams collectively to thirty four percent, right? F- full season versus four games. Of course, the sample size is small, but it has been nothing short of elite. And the the game that Creighton did shoot forty percent from the field. They only scored 57 points. So like that was the lowest point total that they gave up in the entire tournament. So even in that, even in that scenario, it was equally as elite. I just wanted to see what those field goal pers- I was going to, I was like, I was going to come with like 32 is their most important number. If they, I was really hoping that they had only given up 32 <laughs> against Creighton because the first three, they did only give up 32% shooting, but. Alas, I didn't get to come to the podcast with that, but you're you're absolutely right. Um, the scoring has been has been good enough, and it's been the defense that has been able to put itself in into that position. Right, we've talked about like there have been some really nice individual performances, and we'll get to the player that we've coined kind of the most important here. But you know, it's kind of been a okay. So apart from the Charleston game, Charleston game, is that right? Sorry. Furman? Yes. When, no, Charleston. Oh. When Matt Bradley, I was getting ah. to Matt Bradley, where Matt gotcha. Bradley had, I think it was 15 or 16 mm-hmm. points. Otherwise, it's been, well, if Matt Bradley gets going and he hasn't exactly gotten going, but it hasn't mattered yet, 
And um, and that's a testament to how good the defense has been. Mm-hmm. Who's the most important player? Darian Trammell. Okay. Here's here's why. Not okay. just because he's been their best player so far this tournament. He is also the closer. And that's where I gave him the edge here. Mm. Is Look, they've had the success with him carrying the offensive scoring load, which you got to give him, right? They found a way to make this work, and he's the guy that's provided the offense in the, the tournament. So because Matt Bradley's not playing well, that becomes even more important if you can't trust to get, you know, 15 from Bradley. But it's also the end of the game stuff. It's the ability to create your shot. You know, he hit the free throws to, or the free throw to get them here. He's just kind of ultimately option A on offense. And for an offensively challenged team that's built on defense, that guy becomes even more important. And he's shown you how valuable he is with what he's done in this tournament. So that's why I went with Darian Trammell. Yeah, it's 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 certainly hard to argue with that. Um and and that's like those are all spectacular kind of observations there and I'm a big fan of the because the, the guy I went with I went with because this particular guy is shooting 51% from the field in this tournament and I I went with a guy that's that's helped kind of lay the foundation for any sort of efficiency that the offense has but in terms of clo- I like that I like the idea of being the closer and of course he's he's been and I, and I acknowledge that he's had the mo- the best individual performance of San Diego State's tournament but um for those reasons I went with Lamont Butler because 10.3 3.8 assists and 3.5 rebounds in this tournament and he's shooting 51% from the field which is when it like you just need somebody to be to be efficient even if it just is as arbit- it, it, it just as simple as that guy is making half of his shots and just giving it 10 yeah right right exactly and 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 helping out with facilitation i don't know for sure but i i can't imagine anybody else is averaging more than 3.8 assists in the tournament um but he's been consistent and then there have been a couple of nights where both Tramel and and Bradley haven't been great and then and it was Lamont that was able to put together a nice scoring performance to to kind of make up for some of that some of that inefficiency. So I was rewarding the I was rewarding the the consistency of of Butler's tournament um specifically and then the game I was alluding to was the Creighton game where he was eight of eleven from the field for eighteen points in a in a game where nobody else could hit the broadside of a bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because at least part of me would want to look at kind of defensively what these players provide just in general. And mm-hmm. with this team, you just can't do that because they all defend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you don't defend, you're not going to be on the floor. Right, so exactly. Like they, they all defend. Right. So it's just a question of okay, which is the most important player to their offense? Right. <laughs> and Termel's probably that answer, but I also thought that that Butler deserves some recognition. Yeah, all oh, right. He's he's been the second guy throughout the tournament, one hundred percent. Yeah. Key to winning their final four game. What's the key for them to beating FAU? Defending the three point line. Mm. Fort Atlantic takes a lot of them and makes a lot of them. And for a team, you know, San Diego State is 
second in the country in defensive three-point field goal percentage. And obviously, mm-hmm. they're just a great defensive team. So when you're facing a team that's hitting 36.5% of their threes and 35th in the country in three-point rate, mm-hmm. to me, that's the way that Fort Atlantic wins this game is yes. if they shoot the ball really well from the three-point line because that's the the equalizer. That's the way to make up for what San Diego State does defensively. You know, they're not going to be able to kind of physically impose themselves on San Diego State the way mm-hmm. that they were able to sometimes yes. in that region. They're kind of a well-oiled offensive machine that could very easily get bogged down by San Diego State's defense mm-hmm. because they're not necessarily tough shot makers the way Miami is. And we'll get to that later. But the one thing they can do is if they get hot from three, that's kind of where you go. There's just nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. You can defend all you want. If they make the threes, they make the threes. So to me, that's the the one thing San Diego State needs to avoid because you know they're going to check so many boxes is just make sure FAU doesn't go crazy from the three-point line because they're going to take them. The question is whether they make them. Yeah, and you've also seen, I mean, that would be the answer to beating Alabama as well. And they were able to. Yep, exactly. and they were able to do that against Alabama. I will hold my thoughts specifically on that because that's kind of my the other side of that coin. We'll talk about here in just a second when it comes to Fort Atlantic. For me, I just simply have get to sixty five points. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you get to sixty five, if you get to sixty five, I think Florida, like you put Fort Atlantic in a position to have to make a lot of threes. So this kind of works in that because I just like like. If FAU doesn't shoot it well, I don't. I'm not totally sure how they get to 65 points um, from the three point line specifically, right? right? Um, which would go into shooting well overall, of course. But if if they're not knocking down three pointers, I don't understand how they're going to make enough twos to get to 65 points. So the way I think, I think it's more likely that like FAU finds a way to win this game because they win like 63 to 61. Rather than it being like a well, they went they won like seventy two to sixty four. I find that less likely than than them just winning a game where nobody scores any points, similar to the Creighton game. I mean, like that's about as close as you can come to losing a basketball game and still winning it, right? Mm-hmm. That is San Diego State against Creighton, but and maybe and maybe I'm wrong, but I just think that if San Diego State can get to sixty five, then they're going to put a lot of pressure on FAU to to make some three pointers because anything inside the three-point line is going to be really, really tough to make happen. Absolutely. Ford Atlantic, on the other side of the left side of the bracket, their path has been um, has been not one that we expected the Final Four team of this region to take, and but they keep finding a way to get it done. And when you look at the wins, they don't exactly scream impressive from a from a performance perspective necessarily at least i didn't think they did jumping off the page but they keep finding a way to get it done which is which is all that ultimately matters at the end of the day they beat memphis 66 to 65 in the round of 64 and beat fdu fairly dickinson the gauntlet of a 16 to 78 to 70 and that game was pretty close for for the majority of that game. They beat Tennessee 62 to 55 in a game that we talked about at the time. That is how Tennessee was going to lose in this tournament. And then they beat K-State 79 to 76. They've, you know, this is this is for me, Josh, just a 
perfect example of you got to find ways a way to win four games in a row in this tournament. And the team in that region <laughs> found that found a way to win four games in a row was 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 FAU. Whether it's just getting enough offensively to beat Tennessee when they're down when they're down Sakai Ziegler or 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 putting up 79 points because you needed to because Marquise Noel had 30 and you needed to find a way to get as close to 80 as possible um or just eking out a victory over over Memphis 66 to 65 FAU more than I think any other team in this in this that, that's still alive in this tournament just just kind of found a way to get it done whatever that meant on that particular night and as a result, they get to be in Houston. So bravo to them. But uh, the path, the path that might is probably the exact opposite of of UConn's. Right? UConn just kind of has rolled over everybody that they've played, and and FAU in 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 the nicest way possible has simply found a way. Yeah, and you know that was a four seed that neither of us were inspired by. They did beat the three, but they didn't mm-hmm. have to face the two or the one. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is the chaos bracket. They, like you said, found a way to advance. They, to me, played the best of any team in this region. They deserve to be here. Sure. Yeah, that's not me saying that they didn't play well enough to get here and the game got lucky. It was right. just, right, that they didn't. UConn has just done the same thing over and over again. And Miami, other than you know stumbling past Drake, has scored between 86 yeah. and 89 the rest of the tournament, yeah. right? It's been very very cut and dry copy and paste almost. Mm-hmm. And that hasn't been the case for us. Right. Right. And like you said earlier, this bracket doesn't play out this way again. If you just restart the tournament and all of a sudden, if they get past Memphis, they're staring at Purdue in round two, you know, <laughs> and if they get past Purdue somehow, then Marquette's coming out the other side of the bracket or Michigan state is or whatever it might be. They played the games in front of them. They were the better team and all of them. That's all you can do. It is It is kind of an interesting what if, though, because, right, this team's going to end with more wins than anybody in the country. They did, I mean, okay, so, right, Memphis is an AAC team. That's what you're going to see next season. Tennessee is still a very good team without Ziegler, especially what they can do to you defensively. And Kansas State's one of the best teams in the country. You know, it, it's not like they had a, a path handed to them. It's just relative to the NCAA tournament and the other paths. This one was plenty more favorable. Definitely. Why are they here? I just went with balance. Mm, and kind of yeah. to your point about they just can kind of do whatever they need to to win the games. Yeah. And I said they're deeper than you, which yes. is kind of getting at the same thing. Yes, right. The depth is part of it for me. The three-point shooting, the passing, right? They just kind of have a bu- – they got Vlad Golden and a bunch of guys who kind of do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you have – obviously they have you know guys who score more than others. But they don't have your sort of traditional facilitator. They don't have a sharpshooter and a slasher and, you know, your primary. They just kind of generate offense through all of their guards. They're all super fast. They're hard to stay in front of. They all shoot the ball well. Mm-hmm. They're kind of copies of each other, at least to a certain extent. And so they're just hard to deal with because they do everything pretty well, mm-hmm. even if they're not great at some things. And so it allows you to kind of mold into what you need to be to play a game against a Memphis or Tennessee, and then to go play against the Kansas state and exploit their defensive shortcomings. They can do whatever they need to based on the matchup. Yeah. Like 
part of part of figuring like having nine guys that you get like in in three of their four games they've had nine guys play at least 10 minutes and then in the other game it was the ninth guy played nine minutes so basically all you know nine guys played 10 minutes in 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 all of their games and i think like on the season they have like all nine of those guys are averaging like 50, at least 15 minutes per game on the season and it's been a little different right because sometimes you just got to lean on guys in a different way in the tournament but that kind of goes with this idea of of just finding a way to get it done because you have so many different you know combinations and and, and permutations that can happen to find a way to make it happen because you just have so many guys that you can rely on right and sometimes you get deep in the tournament because and they right there have been we'll get to the most important slash best player thus far like there are certainly guys that are more important than others but right sometimes it's we we you know we've been put on the back of you know two guys just being absolutely dynamite throughout the tournament or Carson Edwards is just pulling Purdue through you know, through the bracket almost all the way to the final four. And sometimes it's just, we've got so many guys you got to worry about and we'll get a good individual performance that kind of stands out in every game. But it's just the fact that we have so many places we can go and get it from that. It's hard to shut us down completely. I mean, and Kansas state's a perfect example of that, right? I mean, Marquise Noel was spectacular, but Keontae Johnson was had maybe his worst game in two months. Right from a foul trouble and you know that kind of leading into the never getting into a rhythm thing and then you uh, he scored 9 points in the game I think and I think that was the second time all year that he hadn't gotten to 10 points in a game so and and that's kind of Kansas State's makeup and it almost got them to a final four and and you know specifically being led by by Mar- Marquise Noel but it's the it's the other way around for Florida Atlantic they just have so many guys that can that can give you important minutes and if you just get kind of that spearhead of the, you know, performance from one guy, then you have a lot of guys that can fill in the gaps. And that's why my most important player is Vlad Golden. Okay. <laughs> He's the one guy you can't really replace or make up for. Mm. Because yes, you have your primary, you know, there's a hierarchy to the guard scoring wise and you need your your top two guys to score. But mm. if they have a bad game Michael Forrest can come in and knock down the threes. I'm trying to think of which game that was. Was that the FDU game or the Tennessee game? Um, I will look for you. Keep talking. He came off the bat. I mean, he hit three or four threes and a half, I think, in one of them. Mm. Nick Boyd comes up with the shot to get past Memphis. Yeah, yeah he was three of six from the three-point line against Tennessee. Okay, yeah. So that was that was the game. And, you know, he kind of became the designated free-throw shooter against Kansas State. Mm-hmm. Was it Kansas State? Tennessee. I think it was Tennessee. Sorry, I'm, they're all blown together. But at different points, different guys have kind of played different roles. So my approach here was the guards can pick each other up. If Elijah Martin doesn't have a great game, there are other guys that can go have a really good day who can make the threes to make up for it. What you can't (laughs) compensate for is Vlad Golden's presence on both ends of the floor and specifically on a team that doesn't have forwards, right? Mm. They just don't really exist. (laughs) It's four guards and the big. And yes, some of those guards are bigger. It's not like they're, you know, all point guards, quote unquote, but you need the interior presence to balance that out. He's been really good. He was fantastic against Kansas state. I said, after that game, the numbers just don't even do justice to the presence he had. Mm -hmm. And so if this is going to continue, he has to keep being that guy and keep 
dominating the interior because you know what you're going to get from the perimeter guys around him. Yeah, I, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from there. And, and to a certain extent, I agree with you maybe even more than, than I would otherwise, but the, the stat stuffing and the individual performances we've gotten for John L. from John L. Davis, um, I had to go with him. Uh, whether it's the 29, I mean, 29, 12, and 5 that we got from him on 10 of 16 shooting against FDU, um, and, or even in the game, right, the K-State game, they had 17 assists as a team, and he had six of them. He was 13, 6, and 8. Um, he's just, I, I feel like he kind of unlocks the rest of just the guards kind of being able to run around and do whatever they want. Right. And, and whether it's knocking down shots that particular game, because it's not it's not always him knocking down shots, but it mm-hmm. was right. It was 29 for him in the in the FTU game. He was the guy at the free throw line against Tennessee. He took he was nine of 10 from the from the free throw line for 15 points in that game in a game where nobody else especially was. It wasn't a great game for anybody offensively in that game, but he was the guy who stood stepped to the line and made nine of the 12 free throws that they made in that game. Um, so I went with him, even though, even though I think you're right. It, it, if the, the guy that like, if he twists an ankle 30 seconds into the final four game and exactly. he's out the guy that, that that's the biggest headache for dusty may is definitely Vlad golden. Mm-hmm. 100%. But um, I like, I, I think John L. Davis is probably right behind him. And you can flip that and say, if they get to a national championship game, if they win a national championship, the biggest reason I would agree with you is John L. Davis. I would agree with that. So kind of different approaches, but same idea. He, Yeah, he's been their best player, without a doubt. I went with him. What's the what's the, the key to, to winning this game for FAU? So I flipped this and said two-point defense. Okay. Because... Fort Atlantic's the 11th best two-point defense team, two-point field goal percentage defense team in the country per count. Mm-hmm. They've had, you know, some ups and downs defensively. Obviously, they've guarded teams well at times and didn't guard Kansas State as well, which is to be expected. They didn't guard one guy as well. That's also true. Yeah. You got to hang your hat. If, you, <laughs> if you're going against San Diego State, you got to hang your hat somewhere defensively. Because you got to stop them from scoring points, as we established. If they get get into the high 60s, low 70s, it's probably over for you. So can you control the interior? Can Golden dominate the paint? And can they kind of do what they've done all season really well, continue that, and at least give them some kind of advantage defensively? And then you combine that with the ability to make threes. To me, that's the formula. I kind of went on the other side of the coin from where you went with, with San Diego state, they got to knock down threes to win this game. Like that is in the final four for me. That is the, that is the thing yes. that a team has to do. That is a non-negotiable to win their game. And it's right? terrifying that you have to do it in a football stadium. Just going to throw that up. Right. It's a good point. It's a very good point. Right. I mean, we can, we can go elsewhere. Like you'd love for Matt Bradley to have 16 in your final four game, but also we've shown that you, we can make that happen without, and, and to FAU's credit, you know, Adama Sonogo is probably going to have 28 and 12 against Miami, but if he doesn't like, they're like, there are some pretty great guards that could also pick up the slack. Um, maybe Miami's guards having a really good game is could rival the three point shooting, but we'll get to that here in a second. 
Um, FAU is generally a very good three-point shooting team, 36.5% of the team this season. Yep. And that's with these games included, and they're still top 50 in the country. They're only shooting 31% from the, from the three-point line in this tournament. They're basically 8 of 27 on average uh, in this tournament. And to their credit, a team that's all about pace and space and knocking down three-pointers, they haven't knocked down their three-pointers. Not really. At least not to the extent that they normally do. And, and 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 they've found ways to get past those teams without shooting especially well, or at least as well as they normally do. They can't like if they don't shoot as well as they normally do, and they have all season in this game, they're going to lose. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen. Yep. Like that is, and, and you you touched on it. When we're talking about San Diego State defending the three point line because they're just. Like there's no way they're going to be efficient enough inside the three point line against the San Diego State defense to win this game. There's just no way, and like they're going to need to shoot. Like the 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 number I have down that I put down is 11 of 25 from the three point line. I feel like if they're 11 of 25, so that would be just over 40 percent. Yeah, from the three point line. Now maybe it needs to be a little bit better, but if you start with we get 33 points from the three point line, then we're then we're then we can talk, right? And then we can talk about like getting like if because if you can get to sixty eight points, then you're also going to put pressure on on San Diego State. If mm-hmm. you can get if you can force them to score seventy one to win this game, then you have a chance to win this game. But if if not, um, but if you don't knock the threes down, it's going to be really hard to get to that point. And so for me, that's the that's the number one biggest thing that needs to happen for a team to win their game in a final in the final four this year. Yeah. And specifically this matchup that's, mm-hmm. I have two things for the UConn Miami game that are my two keys for those two teams, but there are basically three numbers I'm looking at between these two games. And mm-hmm. it's, this one is the three point line and specifically Florida Atlantic for all the reasons yeah. you just said, that's going to tell you what kind of game this is and who wins. Yeah. Or at least if Florida Atlantic wins, how it happens. <laughs> I would be very surprised if you were able to get if you're able to give me a like oh yeah they were 8 of 30 from the three point line and they won this game I'll mm-hmm. be I'll be very surprised by that. Yeah. Other side of the bracket. Yukon, Miami. We'll start with Yukon their path. Um they <laughs> steamroll steamroll 87 83 87 863 we'll see Iona 70 to 55 take a hike St. Mary's 88 65 yeah Arkansas that run was cute but we'll be seeing you and Gonzaga <laughs> Gonzaga final fours just elite eights sweet 16s ah, not a big deal 82 54 in a game that probably wasn't that close um not a lot needs to be said about that. Not a lot <laughs> needs to be said about how dominant the Yukon Huskies have been thus far. But Josh, if you were to put a finger on one reason why they have been, what would it be? All right, here we go. I did oh, some boy. contemplating and some reading, and I realized there is an answer to what happened to Yukon this season. Okay. And this He's is going to tell me like the mascot was sick for four <laughs> games. <laughs> This is in large part to CJ, our friend CJ Moore, who did a film breakdown of this for The Athletic that it all clicked in my head when I read that. Because we have talked about this, but it's not something you can see in box scores. And so if you're not watching UConn every single game, it's hard to kind of put it into perspective and understand the evolution. Okay. The reason they're here and the reason they're looking like a juggernaut again 
is because they figured out how to use Andre Jackson. Mm. They figured out how to make him dangerous, even though he can't shoot and won't shoot. Because we, I talk, I mean, I remember having this conversation of just saying every time he got the ball at the three point line, he just looked lost and confused and not sure of himself. Mm-hmm. And there was a point this season where he was taking all those threes that teams were giving him. And then they figured it out. And so now he's doing all kinds of annoying things when teams leave him open the three-point line. He's dribbling the ball into other defenders and then setting a screen for that guy. He's mm-hmm. cutting to the basket so that you have, you know, this six, seven or whatever he is, super athletic, great court vision, great passer, getting the ball going downhill towards the basket with Adama Sinogo there. That's a terrifying mm-hmm. thought. Mm-hmm. It's an unstoppable thought. Yeah, right. And so, right, that's not something that shows up on a box score necessarily. But actually watching it and then just thinking about, yeah, that's what's different, is they have figured out how to not make him a liability and how to get him doing the things he does best, even though teams know he's not going to shoot and he's just not shooting. And that's okay because they still can't deal with what that kind of opens up and the ways they've been able to exploit that space. That Or the other thing is also that he just starts cutting. Mm-hmm. You know, even if he doesn't get the ball, he's cutting to the basket and is getting a, a layup or whatever off of it. That break, kind of solving that equation, has gotten them back to what they were earlier this season. So shout out to CJ Moore for highlighting that so clearly. But I, I read that and I went, ah, yes. Now it's all coming together in my head. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I was I was thinking, okay, so let me go look at three point shooting like number, just like total three point shots. And maybe that will tell me, but it's not really that different. Um, maybe I'll look at free throws. Maybe that's a little different because he's, you know, getting towards the front of the rim and he hasn't shot a free throw in this tournament yet. Um, maybe I'll look at the assist numbers. I think it's probably the assist numbers. I think that's like, if you're going to look somewhere to, to see that, right. Yep. Cause kind of what you're saying is putting him in a position to put pressure on the defense and become a playmaker. That's essentially what you're saying. Right. And, and in this same, we went to stretch, you know, we'll just pick something arbitrary um, from December, from January 7th to from January 7th to let's see, we'll do February, February 7th. So a month. So for a month, he only had, he, he had more than four assists just once, twice, twice since then. He's had a game of nine assists, a game of five assists, a game of six assists, um, and then hasn't had fewer than seven assists since they lost to Marquette in the Big East tournament. Seven, 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 and ten. Mm-hmm. We're talking about 31 assists from one guy in four games in college basketball. Who's Doesn't not even the point guard. Out. Who's not <laughs> even the point guard. So that is that is really astute and, and is part of the – like if you kind of look you – know, the interesting thing is when you look at some of those – when he, it's it's not necessarily that he was shooting it poorly and just wouldn't stop shooting. Like he was shooting it poorly, but it's not like he just refused to stop shooting. It's that you found like it was almost like he was useless. It's almost like he was doing right. nothing offensively. Right. That it was a liability, so, yeah. right? So it, it's it's less about it's less about his liability being he was so bad at something. And more about his liability being that he just wasn't producing at all. That you didn't have to worry about him. Right. It's the same. It's kind of a similar conversation to Draymond Green, right? 
of how do sure. you how do you use this guy's skill set because you want him to have space, you want him to be on the perimeter, you want him to be able to cut, you want him to be able to have, you know, the ability to see the floor to pass and do all of those mm-hmm. things. How do, right, how do you make that happen when teams know they're not going to shoot the three? His his numbers are very Draymond Green. Mm-hmm. Like he had eight, ten, and nine. Yep. In the Elite Eight game. Seven, seven, and eight. Six, seven, and six. Ten, seven, and five. It's unbelievably Draymond of him. And on the other side of things, you know what they you know, in, in their loss to Marquette in the NCAA tournament, fifteen minutes, two points, five fouls, two assists, one one rebound. Yep. Hmm. Astute. Shouts to CJ Moore, friend of the podcast. Yep. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I'm much more overarching than that, but essentially getting at the same thing. Um, the, the, and we've been also beating this, this drum loudly for the entire season, but the, the production on, from the guards has been consistent mm-hmm. this tournament. It just has. Yep. And be like, right. Jordan Hawkins is getting the NBA love. Sonogo is the most important player. But it's the guard play that's just been really solid, right? It wasn't great against Iona, but they didn't it didn't really matter because I mean Sonogo was unstoppable, and with all due respect to Iona, it was Iona. And but after that, you know, Jordan Hawkins, Tristan Newton, and Andre Jackson all shot better than fifty percent from the field for thirty one points against St. Mary's. Jordan Hawkins had twenty four in his best game of the tournament against Arkansas, and the other two combined for fourteen assists. In that game, Andre Jackson had seven assists, and so did Tristan Newton. Um, and like the scoring was fine. I think both of them had like eight or something. Um, maybe they combined for like 14 or so. And then the other game, uh, in the elite eight game, right? 20 points from Hawkins. Um, the other, the three of them together combined for 36 and you've kind of hit on where Andre Jackson has been impactful elsewhere. And Tristan Newton has had a decent tournament and facilitating and not making a ton of mistakes. Um, you can kind of look at this, however, whether it's Andre Jackson, whether it's, yeah, Jordan Hawkins has been the consistent scoring presence he has to be, or if it's a combination of all of them, uh, it's just been, it's been what they need it to be for UConn to look dominant. It's just been so complimentary. It's been so like collectively stat stuffing. It's just been, it's just been really, really good. And then you've got some, you know, Alex Caravan has been solid, but you've gotten you know Aline has given you some good minutes off the bench, as is, as has Calcaterra. Like it's just been a really high quality four games from their guards, and like Sonogo gives you an incredibly high floor, and and when you get you know Jordan Hawkins and showing glimpses of why he's you know kind of bounced in and out of like kind of the darling of NBA draft got people. Right. Sometimes it's, you know, they're at least, they're at least very, uh, uh, they, they, they're very, uh, it's like moth to a flame with, with him, whether it's, and they, they kind of like Andre Jackson's kind of like that too. I see, if, if saw people throughout the year talk about him quite a bit because he'll do things every once in a while. It's like, whoa, that guy, that guy moves different. But, um, all of this, I'm kind of talking in circles at this point, but all of that being said, the guard play has just been so, so solid for so many different reasons. And as a result, we're seeing that team that we saw kind of early to, to mid December that didn't seem like they were ever going to lose. Yep. 
And that might just be the best way to 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 categorize UConn's performance. It just like feels like that they would never lose ever again. Right. They just played together for the next twenty years that they would never lose ever again. Who's the best player though? I went with Jordan Hawkins. You did? Okay. Yeah. For kind of what you were just talking about there. And I was so tempted to say Andre Jackson. I really was. Because mm. it's it's neck and neck. And Sunogo is third for me just because you have Donovan Klingon there. That if something happens, you got a seven foot two behemoth that can do all kinds of things for you to come in and fill that space. That might be the most disrespectful thing you've said all tournament. To, just, quite, to say Adama Sonogo goes out, it's okay. You have the guys averaging twenty and ten. In this <laughs> but but go yes. off. Yeah, yeah. And that's also just a testament to how good this team has been. That I can sure. kind of just dismiss that and go. You know, I mean, you'd love to have Sonogo out there, but. Because wow, unbelievable, and it's also a testament to how consistent Snogo has been this season. That mm-hmm. to me, this is kind of what you were talking about with your one thing. That it's going to come down to Jordan Hawkins. Jordan Hawkins has to make. Jordan Hawkins is the shooter. He has to make shots. He has to score the ball as that's that other option. You need balance outside because you know what you're going to get from Sonogo. What happened when they fell apart there? Was yeah, they just. I mean, was that Snogo wasn't taking enough shots, and they weren't, and they weren't, and the guards weren't making them, and specifically Hawkins, right? It sure. was, it was a combination that, of, of all. But these that suggests things. that it doesn't matter how good the, the guards are if Sonogo isn't good, right? If you Sunogo can kind of spin that however, however you would like. Oh, I'm going to spin it the other way here, <laughs> about 45 seconds. And there's, I really think there's an argument for all three guys. They're just kind of in a three way tie for most important player in my head. But I went with Hawkins just because that's been one of the other differences that he looks like the guy he was supposed to be again, and they look unstoppable in large part because of that. For me, it doesn't like all of these things are non-starters if Sonogo doesn't play well. There's nothing Jordan Hawkins can do. Like if like if if Sonogo has eight points on three of fourteen shooting in the final four, I just don't think there's anything that Jordan Hawkins can do for UConn to win that game. I just don't. Um, I just like, like there is a safety blanket that comes with Sonogo that unlocks everything else. Right. And I was going to say, and so part of my thing is, and you can kind of flip this and say, you can't just assume that, but right. I just, there's no world and there's no situation in my head where Sonogo actually takes 14 shots and only makes three of them because he's Adama Sonogo, you know, that I just kind of take for granted. He's going to do his thing, which is. Yes, probably inherently a little disrespectful that you just assume this guy's going to go give you, you know, sixteen and eight, and then not call him the most important right. player on the team. <laughs> I, I own that. I own that. Yeah, I, I, I will just. I, I'm a big fan of what's the thing that lays the foundation for everything else yeah. that your team. See, does. you were going floor, and I was going ceiling. That's the best sure. way to put it. Sure, I yeah. think I think that's I think that's incredibly fair. And so that's why that's why I went with Sonogo because I just don't I I find it hard to believe and and in the context of the Miami game in particular like if it gets to, like if we're if we're doing a score off between the two sets of guards like if that's what this game turns into UConn's going to lose that battle like yep, absolutely like, like if you asked if you got to choose which trio of guards you got to use as your backcourt oh, in the NBA no you you'd pick UConn's guards but like it. In the NBA in particular, you pick UConn's guards. But if I said, all right, you're only going to take the points that were scored from the, the guards in this game, everybody with their in their right mind would take Miami. 
because they are just like they've they're averaging a combined fifty eight in this tournament. Yeah. Oh, I, if you ask and, me which set of guards I want to win one game in at a Final Four, I want Miami's. Yeah. Right. One hundred. So yeah. so the thing that makes UConn the favorite to win this tournament is that is Adamus Nogo, mm-hmm. not the guards. So that and that to me is. And that to me is is the floor and the foundation that I'll that I'll lean on. It's a very solid argument. Thank you. What's your key <laughs> to winning the final four game? I've been harping on this all season, but it's still a thing. And specifically with a team that's difficult to kind of deal with offensively, mm. they gotta keep these guys off the free throw line. Mm. They are three hundred and nineteenth in the country still in free throw essentially free throw rate. Free throws attempted per field goals attempted on the defensive end of the floor. We talked about this when they started losing. Right, They're so aggressive defensively. They're so long. They're so physical. They pick up fouls. And Miami has shown you they don't have to hit threes to cause all kinds of issues for you <laughs> with what they just did against Texas. Mm-hmm. Can they at least kind of keep these guys off the free throw line and balance that out a little bit by getting Sonogo there, by getting Kling in there and imposing their will physically? Because... These guys are really difficult to stay in front of. Mm-hmm. And this is a team that's prone to following people. And also, can you stay out of foul trouble? That's the other part. Can right. Sonogo stay on the floor? Can that's Andre Jackson stay on the floor? Yeah. That's what I was going to follow up with for sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because like the thing that I gravitate towards here is that I just need my I just need UConn to be the the physically demanding team that they are against this Miami team. Like what whatever that like use your physicality the length of the guards like just use your physical like just use your physical attributes effectively right whether it's Sonogo that's just easily the, the like like i think like the the answer to who's going to stop Adama Sonogo for Miami is like not obvious right like like there are some options i mean the answer is you hope it's no chat mirror right Right, but you just use the word hope. Right, exactly. In, Very in intentionally. Right. Um, and like, right, Miami's interior defense is not great. We're talking 246th in the country in two-point field goal percent, uh, percentage defense outside the top 180 in offensive rebound, just barely inside the top 200 in defensive rebounding. Like, all of these things scream Adamo Sonogo is going to have 28-12 and 12 in this game. But the overarching thing for me here is is gravitating towards the physicality and the length of their guards and the athleticism and all these physical attributes that you can't teach. But on the other side of it, making sure that you don't let Miami use that to their advantage and get you into foul trouble, which is something that you've been struggling with all year. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I feel like that's that, that I'm not sure Miami can keep up with the physicality of UConn's team, but also they might need not need to. It might just they might just be able to use right use the hundred mile an hour fastball to your advantage as long as you connect with the hundred as long as you connect you know put barrel to the bat or barrel to the ball the the pitcher supplied the power you just got to be in the right position to take advantage of it. It would be difficult to put the barrel to the bat. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! I don't, I don't need that from you. I don't need that from you. But um. But yes, very, uh, very, very interesting. Anything else on UConn specifically before we jump no. to Miami? Let's get to the Canes. Miami, 
Listen, Miami stumbled past Drake, 63-56, and then they haven't been stopped since. It's one of the biggest what-ifs of the tournament. Had Drake won that game? Mm-hmm. I mean, right, Drake, Memphis. Yep. Right, we could we could do this for, for several yep. teams. Um, they beat Indiana 85-69. They beat Houston 89-75. They beat Texas 88-81. to um, I'll just kind of keep rolling here. They stumbled past their bad shooting night, and the reason that they've gotten here is because Nigel Pack, Isaiah Wong, and Jordan Miller have gone 58, 59, 56 in the following three games. And and they've just they've been so good and they've kind of traded off who's had the game, right? I mean, Jordan Miller's had the twenty seven point game, Nigel Pack's had the twenty seven point game. It is really impressive. Just it doesn't seem like they played an Indiana team that is good defensively. Maybe their you know Indiana's defensive prowess starts in the interior more so than 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 you know Jalen Huchifino on on the perimeter. But Houston's got some of the best defensive guards in the country. Um, Texas has big physical guards, and it just hasn't mattered. I mean, it's not like Nigel Pack is a massive guy, right? It's just. They are they are so skilled offensively, starting with those three guards. And when you look, and it would be impressive, you know, their performances would be impressive either way. But to look at the collection of defenses, but specifically guards, yep. and specifically on that second weekend that they had to go against, I mean, they they scored fifty nine and fifty six combined in the second weekend against Marcus Sasser, Jamal Shedd, Marcus Carr, Tyrese Hunter. Tyrese Hunter, like that's mm-hmm. who they scored against in the second weekend. It's incredibly impressive, and it's the reason that they're here. Yeah, I I just said shot making, mm, yeah. right? Because that's the other part of this that I keep harping on is it's not that they were just great offensively. It's that they're great offensively in a way very few teams are because they just make shots and there's nothing you can do about it mm-hmm. because it's not like they have to beat you. They're just really good at making tough shots. And so it, when they're making them, it negates what you're doing defensively because it's not like you're playing bad defense. Right. They just score anyway. <laughs> and they have, to, oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I jumped in front of you. Go ahead. And they have three guys who can do it, right? It's right. not just one guy. It's not just Isaiah Wong. It's on any given day, any three of those guys can just destroy your defensive game plan. And you just sit there frustrated because by and large, you're doing the right things and it just doesn't matter. And they've scored at least 74 points every game since January 31st, with the exception of the Drake game. Mm-hmm. Now, they've lost some of those. But when you your bottom line is 74 points, and you're playing college basketball, mm-hmm. your foundation is really good, even if you're a bad defensive team. Yeah. It's the same reason that no matter how obvious it is that Kyrie Irving is a is a net negative for your basketball team, that's that everybody like that the Mavericks will give up draft picks to go to go get him and mm-hmm. give up guys like Dorian Finney Smith to go get him because there are nights where it just doesn't matter yep. how good of a defense you're playing on Kyrie Irving. He's just going to score. Mm-hmm. Right. And it doesn't matter. And then when you have him and Luka Doncic, who is the same issue to an even higher degree, then you have two of those guys. And and this Miami team, right. None of these guys are anywhere in the same stratosphere as Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. That's not what I'm saying. The point I'm getting at is that's why people, that's why NBA franchises are still so wooed by Kyrie Irving. And it's 
why, right? It's just like you said, it doesn't matter. A lot of the most efficient offenses in college basketball are efficient because their offense is so good. Right. Jim Laranega doesn't have to draw up good offense to be efficient offensively because his guards just can make shots that like a handful of people in the entire country can make consistently. And he's got three of the three of the what? 12 best shot makers in college basketball. Yeah, something like that. Like that's, 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 that's tough. And is, and is, and might be right. Because I mean, as good as UConn's offense has been, they've all, they've also locked in defensively Mm -hmm. in this, in it, it too. And, you know, there are other reasons as well, but that is in a nutshell, why this will be UConn's most challenge, most challenging game for their defense is because there are probably going to be stretches where you play really good defense for four minutes. And Miami still wins that stretch because Nigel pack made two contested threes and Isaiah Wong, you know, got a shot to get up onto the rim and, and, and one, even though you were right there in his grill the whole time and Jordan Miller knocks down a mid range and, and then they end up winning that stretch and you feel like you played really good defense for four straight minutes and you've got to be able to stay in there and not get discouraged because they're going to keep making shots but if you step off the gas even a little bit, then, 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 then we're going to have issues. But and they, uh, yeah, and they just never panic. Yeah, that right. There have been times where it hasn't looked great, specifically the Texas game, mm-hmm. and they just keep going, and That's they just keep either. scoring, and then you <laughs> stop scoring. They scored eighty-eight points. Yeah, and you just look up and you go, "Oh well, there's that. You didn't score enough points." Yeah. Um. Who's their best player thus far? I went to Isaiah Wong. Okay. To you, I like of- this. I like this. We 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 didn't have I I I of all the podcasts we do that we come up <laughs> with the same player. The fact that we that we asked for the most important slash best player of Final Four teams and we we had what one guy the same? Did we have one? I don't think we. Maybe we didn't have any. I don't think we've had any. No, we didn't because you went Vic Golden. Yeah, yeah, we haven't had any. I I mean I I picked a I picked a different guard. Yeah, I, to use one of your phrases, I just didn't overthink it. He's sure. the leading scorer and leading assist man on this team. Mm. Now, is he the one who kind of – and this is a floor thing for me. I kind of switched sure. my approach here where he's not the one that elevates it. He's the one that sets the foundation, right? Because you sure. know what you're getting from him. He hasn't really exploded. He probably hasn't even been their best guard in this tournament. But in that second half against Texas, when you really needed somebody to kind of turn the tide of the game – he really came to life. He just he's so he's so calm. He's so composed. He just goes about his business. And you look up, and he's got eighteen points and mm-hmm. four assists and five rebounds, and they're they're winning again. So I, it's really difficult to pick between one of them because the answer is all three. They all need to be really good if they're going to win this game. Mm-hmm. But I had to pick just one, so I went I went with the guy who's who's been around the block. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. Um, I went with Nigel Pack because when you're at when your splits are fifty one forty five ninety in the NCAA tournament, like that's <laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty darn good. Eighteen and a half points, multiple twenty point game performances, and he was and part of why right he has one of those really really spectacular individual performances. He was also the guy that went seven to fifteen for twenty points against Drake in the game that. In the one game that they were not clicking offensively, it was Nigel Pack who had 20 on basically 50% shooting that 
kind of lifted them in a game that they could have lost, mm-hmm. right? They they could have lost that game and they could have lost the Texas game, but like they, it was pretty clear that they weren't going to lose to Indiana and they weren't going to lose to Houston. And the two games that they, they could have lost, right? They could have lost that Texas game and 63, 50, only scoring 63 points. Like you're, you're susceptible, right? To, to losing that game against anybody. And Drake is a really quality mid-major team. And it was it was Nigel Pack that had that had the offensive game that that kind of saved them on a night that that the other two guys weren't clicking. So those two things, you know, that that was part of it for me. But also, I mean, fifty one forty five ninety, like I mean, fifty forty ninety is like the holy grail of efficiency. <laughs> and and he's fifty one forty five. I think it's forty four point eight percent from the three point line, but basically forty five percent and like fifty one and a half percent from the field. So um, that is uh, ludicrous levels of efficiency. Yeah. And part of my argument would be also that Wong is the one guy who hasn't had that moment yet. Sure. Right. They need, they need him to have his because Pack has had his and Miller's had his. Cause yeah, Pack's been, I mean, that's what you brought him in for. That's why he's making the money. He's delivered when it's mattered most for sure. Um, we can't do this best player uh, segment, most important player segment without at least giving a shout out to Norchado NBA. <laughs> Averaging yeah. ten and a half and thirteen point three in this tournament. Yeah. Right. Doing, he doing is the dirty work. Doing the dirty work one hundred percent and and adding some offensive uh contributions. Uh, it there there can't be the list of guys. I mean, like not even Donald Sonogo is averaging a double double in this tournament. Like he's like point two rebounds short. But there can't be that many guys in this tournament, you know, whether they're still playing or not, that are averaging a double double. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't be stunned. I mean probably Trace Jackson Davis did in his two games. I would guess that he that he averaged a double double, but the list of guys is short, so mm-hmm. we can't. I, I didn't want to go through that that little segment there without at least recognizing how good he's been. For sure, absolutely. Difference between what's, last year's team and this year's team. For sure, for sure. Uh, what's the key to them beating UConn? Got to keep him off the offensive glass. You kind of alluded to this with Sonogo. Mm-hmm. They are a small team. <laughs> They are not particularly good at, you know, doing things like blocking shots, rebounding, (laughs) you know, they kind of do their thing. And Mm -hmm. maybe there's kind of a, an ability to step it up defensively now that it matters more, you know, Mm -hmm. but rebounding doesn't exactly work that way. And so you got to take away this is basically for me you've got to take away some of UConn's advantages here because Mm. they have a lot of them and there's as we talked about all season there's this long checklist of things you have to do to beat UConn and some of them Miami is set up with the offensive firepower the other stuff is you got to stop UConn from doing what UConn does best and like you were talking about physically imposing their will and just taking you out of your element and turning this into a very Dan Hurley, you know, not necessarily ugly game in the sense that it's 58-56, but physical, you know, offensive rebounding, getting to the free throw line, all of those kind of things, as opposed to Miami's pretty style. Mm-hmm. You got to stop them from having massive advantages because they're already difficult enough to deal with when you're not giving up 15 offensive rebounds. Yeah, I went back to the to the the phrase that you used, which is you know, like right, K I S S, don't overthink it, keep it simple, stupid. Like 
the the guards have to be elite for them to win this basketball game. They just do. Right. I mean, they were 58, 59, 56 is the, this is the combined points that they've scored in their three games post to Drake. And if they don't score in the, the ballpark of 60 of 60 points combined, they're probably, they're not going to win this game. They're just not like, it is just, it's the reality of the situation because on paper, UConn is the superior team, right? They, they, and, and when I look at, right, they'll need Omi to have a whale of a game against Sonogo and they'll, like you'd love, maybe you don't get twenty three from Jordan Hawkins. That might help, but like the, I just think the thing that's most likely to happen, that absolutely needs to happen, is for those those guards to score sixty. Does that make sense? Yeah, is that's that, a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Because like, yeah, I'd love for them to keep UConn off the offensive glass. I don't think they're going to keep UConn off with the offensive glass. Right. What they can do is use UConn's defensive liabilities which at, which start just at the fact that they hand the other team 30 shots from the charity stripe every game like if you like if you if you can get to the line 30 times like that's a pretty good place to start and then you start seeing the ball go in the basket when you're these right. these guards who can and specifically Miller and Pack right your mm-hmm. shooters and and Wong's been better from 3 this season too that right what you start seeing the ball go in the net all of a sudden you're knocking down threes and there's kind of a snowball effect that comes with that mm-hmm. right so, so that's, that's just the thing that, that I, like, I, we get, I could get more in depth about the little things that, that could happen and specifically on the other end of the floor, but it's all a non-starter for me if the guards aren't spectacular. Yep. That's step one. Mm-hmm. So that's the key for me. All right, real quick. Are we, are we going to do, I assume we're going to do a post final four pod. Yeah. Okay. Um, Rather than just a post final four national championship game yeah, pod. Yeah, yeah. Um so I won't ask you for a national title winner, but I will ask you for final four winners. Well, can't get any worse than the Elite Eight predictions, so <laughs> Hey, not? we're still here podcasting. Yeah, we're why not give it another go? Uh San Diego State, Yukon. Yeah, I think that's how that's where I'll go as well. And there's there are too many things and we've kind of, of laid them out, but I, these are very interesting games in the sense that, as we mentioned before, I just – there are things that kind of you look at and you go, that's going to determine it one way or another. And mm-hmm. we've both been laying them out in terms of our keys and we're kind of thinking along the same lines. And so that means you've got this very narrow path to <laughs> to fit through if you're Fort Atlantic or Miami. And I'm just going to keep playing the odds and say – that the the better teams that have some matchup advantages that need to be overcome are going to find a way to go through. I agree. Anything else? I think that's it. Let's play some basketball. It's, ba- it's baseball opening day. It is. I'm kind of I'm kind of excited about that. Oh yeah. Shouts to the pitch clock. Jeff Passan did his. Uh, they they were waiting for opening day, but it's on the front page of ESPN. It's the it's the 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 pitch clock is the best thing is the most important thing to happen to baseball. <laughs> dot 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 maybe ever like that's the that's the headline ah. on 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 ESPN.com. You knew it was coming at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, MLB opening day. Not that anybody listening to this podcast in theory particularly <laughs> cares, but um, but yeah, we'll be back on Sunday to break down what happens on Saturday evening in Houston and um and we'll go from there
Anything else, Josh? Let's get out of here. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, YouTube, all of those fun things. TikTok, all of those fun things. We'll be back on Sunday. Please, thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. Like I said, we will be back on Sunday. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later. Thank you.